We don't play the social game. We are social. Power 98.5. You're listening to Power 98.5, powered by United Angels Dream, your number one resource for public relations, entertainment, and multimedia. Contact them today at unitedangelsdream.com. Prepare yourself. Okay, let's go. Mr. Aaron Williamson, what's the good word for today? Oh, the good word. <laughs> there's, there's so much good word. It's, it's a good training day. It's hot in Vegas, and uh, we're on the air live with you. Live with each, each other, and we've got Matt Grace with us today. Yes, sir. I want to thank you for setting this up. I'm super excited. Yeah, Matt's a good dude. He's got a great story, and I'm looking forward to, uh, to him getting on here and sharing it with everybody because I think a lot of people can benefit from what he's going to say. Well, Matt, welcome. Good morning. Thank you. <laughs> aloha, Hawaiian time, right? Hey, aloha from Hawaii. That's right. Sitting on Oahu. Bring us up to speed. What's going on with you during this time, pandemic, and before we get into all the other good stuff that's happening with you, your book, being a firefighter and coach, uh, what are you doing during this downtime or even if it is a downtime for you? Uh, this, this downtime for me is just focusing on family, being present. Um, you know, I, I actually live in uh, right now, com- being in Hawaii is coming back home for me. So it's a reprieve from everything that's going on in uh, Sacramento, California, <clears throat> excuse me, which is where I'm currently residing. So I just came back home here to Hawaii to kind of escape a little bit, be with family, and be able to go to the beach again. Be able to get the, in Hawaii, we call it mana, your spirit. And coming home to be filled back up again just man, makes me feel so much better. <laughs> Where do I begin? I'm, I'm, and to let everyone know, this is uh, Aaron's uh, first episode with us live on air with Stephen Cuoco on Power 98.5. He's an awesome guy, and even with all of his gifts and talents that the world has seen, and they're going to find out even more of what he's capable of, Aaron, I uh, truly want to thank you for taking this opportunity to allow yourself to be here and to really grab hold of this opportunity and, once again, bringing Matt to the table and... uh we're gonna we're gonna find out what your set skills are now in radio. Yeah, I appreciate I appreciate that. It's uh I'm grateful to be on to be on the show and uh, be able to have this platform to share some amazing stories, some inspirational stories, and uh, just kind of shed some light on some things that happened in my life and people who have inspired me. And that's really what it's all about, just being the change. Well, don't hesitate to chime in. You don't have to wait until I'm done. You know, like anything else, we'll just bounce off off of each other's energy. And um, yeah, I don't want you to be on the sideline. So, uh, you know, you're you're side by side with me on this. With that being said, Matt, you are a Navy, retired Navy veteran. Aaron, you are a Marine veteran. What do you guys have in common? Uh, the, the understanding of camaraderie and hardship, overcoming obstacles, mental fortitude, survival, 
strength, courage, tenacity, perseverance, you name it. All of that. Every, everything that Aaron said, it's um, perseverance, perseverance. And, you know, we're being in the military. We're off. We're also given the gift of knowing what's most valuable in life. And we're able to remind that other people that sometimes like, Hey, every day is a gift. Not every day is, is going to come to you and be present in the one that you have and love those around you and make it known to them that you care. I like that. And currently, Matt, you are a firefighter. And I am. I'm an NLP coach. And an NLP coach, yeah. Helping people uh, overcome their obstacles. You know, um, being, being a firefighter is not that much different than, than being in, in the military. I was a rescue swimmer in the Navy. Um, worked with the, the special operations community. And for me, the transition to being a firefighter was, was pretty natural. You know, the camaraderie, the, the never know what's going to happen around the corner, being able to just go from zero to 100. I, I liked that aspect of it. And, and also the service, the service, you know, just because Aaron and I are, are veterans doesn't mean that we, we stop serving. And that's uh, a lot of my motivation to both being a firefighter and being a coach. Aaron, you have anything? Um, I just want to let them talk a little bit more to get into the, the meat of it. Cause this is, uh, I'm still learning a little bit about his line of work too. Cause I'm not familiar with the, uh, the rescue swimmer, uh, field. So this is, I'm interested to hear him. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, let me explain that in, in the Navy, we we are everybody knows, you know, a lot of people have seen the movie The Guardian with, with Ashton Kutcher highlighting the, the Coast Guard um, rescue swimmers, which are awesome guys. Um, the difference about being a Navy rescue swimmer is we launch from two different platforms. By launch, I mean <clears throat> get into the water from, from different platforms. In the Navy, every ship um, has to have two rescue swimmers surface guys we're, we're known as surface rescue swimmers srs and we also have air rescue swimmers ars the guys that they deploy from helicopters so i was a surface rescue swimmer guy so i was on on the ships and our main job is to rescue pilots who eject that's that's the main difference between Navy rescue swimmers and Coast Guard rescue swimmers is that we have the specialized training to go into the ocean and rescue pilots out of their their parachutes, which is super, super technical. Um, because when pilots eject, they also eject out of their seats. I don't know if you guys have ever seen pictures of that. I know Top Gun, they, they kind of they highlight that area um, where Goose has to eject, Maverick eject, and they land into the water. And the guys who actually go to get them our Navy rescue swimmers. And that's the main, the main function that we do, but we also support civilians as well. If there's a, a civilian vessel in the ocean that is in need of assistance, they'll deploy us. Um, for surface guys, our Navy ships, we are lowered down from, from the ship into the ocean. Um, that's one way. And then also we're loaded, we're lowered into the ocean by Zodiac. Um, Rib, uh, rigid, rigid hull inflatable boats that we have. Um, 
they're highlighted in the, you know, if you ever see uh, like Navy SEALs going going in the water, we use similar boats to them. They, of course, theirs are, theirs are a lot faster. So ours are a lower level of that, but it's, it's basically the same idea. It's just a, a rubber boat that bounces along the ocean and gets us to where we need to go to make our rescues. I don't know if I'm jumping the gun asking this question, but what was it that, that uh, enticed you to get into rescue swimming with the Navy versus some of the other uh, branches? Man, that's a, that's a really good question. Aaron. And, you know, I joined the Navy. And I speak about this in, in the book that I've written. I joined the Navy to be an EOD technician because, you know, blowing stuff up is cool. <laughs> right. And uh, I was, but the main, the ultimate reason why I joined the Navy, and this is going to sound funny to a lot of different people because people join the military for different reasons. It's like, I'm sure that you have. I joined the Navy to come back home to Hawaii. Um, going through high school, I ended up homeless for a little while. Um, not homeless in the, the aspect that I didn't have anywhere to live. I just didn't have a home. Uh, I bounced around a little bit and eventually I, my uh, father, who I didn't really grow up with, um, he lived in Reno, Nevada. So he took me in, in Reno. I finished out high school there from the middle of my junior year to, to senior year. And I just wanted to come back home to Hawaii where my heart was. And so I joined the Navy so I could eventually one day end up in Pearl Harbor and going through the process, the whole recruiting process. I'm like, man, EOD is cool. Let me do that. But my math wasn't as strong as it should have been for, for the ASVAB. I was short by five points. So the recruiter said, hey, you know, come into the Navy, be a firefighter, which is a damage control in the Navy's version of a firefighter. And later on, you can go into the OD program. Okay, cool. Well, I got to my first ship and I saw this guy running down the hangar bay wearing a black black wetsuit, fins in his hands. And the guy was just trucking. Like he knew where he was going and it just clicked for me. It's like that right there is I wanted what I want to do. And you know, there, there's those moments in life where you just know. And that was those, that was one of the moments for me. The, the irony is when I was 10 years old, I had a near drowning out here on Maui at Honokaha Valley uh, out there with my cousins and that was <laughs> that was an, an introduction of power for me by what the sea, what the ocean can do. Um, I was bouncing off the bottom. I couldn't breathe. Um, I came up just to grab another breath of air right back down. Another wave hit me and I ended up passing out under the water. And then I came to on my bodyboard and the water was flat like a lake and it took me a minute to realize actually where I was and then I swam in and you know all my cousins were wondering hey Matt where were you I was like I don't know I was I was out there and I believe that was a moment for me to prepare and to know what the ocean 
would be it's almost like the ocean was welcoming me hey this is this is us having a meeting are you worthy for what i have planned for you and then later on i became a rescue swimmer it's crazy yeah the ocean's uh the ocean's a beast i actually just lost one of my really close friends last month um he got pulled out in a riptide saving his son and uh I mean, he's a big dude, bigger than life, 6'6", six, six, almost 300 pounds, just a ginormous guy. And uh, it took him under like it was nothing. So I can relate to that. Yeah, the ocean is powerful. A lot of people under, underestimate the ocean. Um, you know, as just being on the beach over here, going to some of the beaches, I've, I've made rescues just because, you know, people come to Hawaii from the mainland, they're not prepared how powerful the ocean is and it can take you out. And before you know it, you're succumbed to the depths of it. Yeah. I'll give you credit for doing that though. Uh, I won't go out in the ocean to be honest. I'll put my feet in the water and that's it. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> it, it, Cause I, it doesn't matter how good of a swimmer you are. You, no one is a match, not even a ship for water. No, it's um, you know, one of the one of the greatest moments I I ever had, um, as a rescue swimmer, was I was on the USS Cushing at the time, and we were we were we were on deployment, we we're cruising, and the captain had a real good rapport with myself and one of the other swimmers because there's only two, and he asked me, he's like, hey, do you want to go swimming? Hell yeah, I want to go swim. We're out in the middle of the ocean. That's that's what I'm here for. And he stopped. He's like, okay, well, when I when, when we sound man overboard, because you want to make a drill out of it, you know, man overboard, man overboard. Um, wasn't until I realized where we were, and to you know, just kind of make things kind of come full circle from from that moment of being held down under the ocean to scraping clawing for for breath for air for life to being lowered over the ship and i was able to swim over the marianas trench and that's one of the deepest parts of the ocean it's seven miles deep plus to be out there all by myself just all alone knowing that nobody's ever been <laughs> that deep before nobody's ever been down to the bottom of, of that ocean just to lay there floating and seeing the sun just piercing through and and it was so surreal for me that was i think that for me ultimately that was the culmination of my rescue swimming career um aside from the other the other stuff i've done that for me was one of the most beautiful serene moments where i was able to also experience the peace of what the ocean brings not only the you know the 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 you could say the power of it the the, the it is just amazing I, I you know it sometimes i even get caught up it's, it's hard to explain how peaceful that was for me it sounds pretty surreal what it is it, yeah so kind of jumping into something here, because you have this phrase that you've coined called release your hero. Yeah. And can you explain kind of what that means and how you came about that? 
Yeah, this is this is a uh, right into the emotion, right into the emotion part of this, um, which is a beautiful thing. Which is why I wanted to be on here. Why, which is another, why I'm so thankful to to share this message. Um, Release your hero for me um, is goes back to the moment I had to release my hero. Because as a Navy rescue swimmer, as a firefighter, I'm the hero for everyone else. Everybody expects me to to be there for them when they when they call 911. Hey, Johnny, on spot. Somebody needs help in the ocean. I was there. But for many years, I was battling post-traumatic stress. Um, I came back from, from Afghanistan in 2005, and I came back with that gift, right? And I, I, I'll get into it later on, if we get into why I call it a gift, because I, I found it to be that um, on the other side of all the pain, it truly is a gift. But there was a moment when my, I couldn't handle the cries of my daughter. I couldn't handle the cries of my daughter. It would, it would trigger me. It was a trigger for me. And I knew it and I was afraid of it. I was afraid of being a danger because I was previously married before to my, uh, and I, we had a daughter and I discovered it then with my, my oldest. And I was afraid I, I couldn't be around there. I was like, what's going on here? I can't, I can't be around her when she cries. And because of post-traumatic stress and everything that, that relationship, it ended. It ended. It ended horribly and ended up being a tumultuous divorce that it, 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 it was crushing. It was, uh, man, it was depleting down, down to my soul. And coming out of that relationship, still, still going through PTSD, feeling all the emotions that come along with that self-doubt, insecurity, um, pain, not, not knowing which way is up, just dizzy all the time, not knowing your direction, I ended up getting into a, another uh, relationship. And I was like, man, this is going to be beautiful. This is new. Um, and we ended up having a, another child, ended up having another girl, my um, little baby. And the same thing happened to me again. I thought, I thought it was better. I thought it was better. I thought it was past on my post-traumatic stress issues and everything, um, the anxiety, the depression that came with all of it. But I was, I was very wrong. I was very, very wrong. And the same thing happened all, all over again. My, my daughter would cry and I was like, I can't do this. And I told my wife, I'm like, Hey, we, I need help. I, we need to get a, a sitter or a nanny or something to be home with, with me. And I didn't say why I, I didn't say why I just said, I'm nervous. I can't handle it. Um, which was true. But there was also that 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 fear in the back of my mind, like, what would happen? What would happen? And, you know, my wife was a nurse. She was working hours and I was a firefighter. I'd work my shifts for two days and I would come home for two days. And on those two days, well, one of those days I was left alone with my five-month-old daughter. And she began to cry. And I put her in the bedroom. I'm like, you need to go in there. I couldn't, I couldn't be in the same room. And then I snapped. <sighs> this is this is I always I always get emotional at this part, which is beautiful because it's real. 
And I went into the bedroom. My little daughter was laying face down on the bed and I pushed her head into the bed so she wasn't crying anymore. And as soon as I did that, I snapped something in me, that, that instinct, that father instinct, I snapped out of it and I fell to the floor. I fell to the floor and I sat beside her and I wept and I wept as she cried on the bed right beside me. And at that moment, I was going to take my own life. I was fully prepared, <laughs> fully prepared. I was like, this is it. I don't deserve to live after what I've just done. And I got up and I was walking to the kitchen to do what I had intended. And I looked back at my daughter one more time. And that was the moment. That was the moment for me. Matt, no, don't do this. Your daughter needs you. Your daughter needs you. It's time for you to do something. You have to act. You have to do something now to change. And it was at that, that moment, Aaron and Steve, when, when I released my hero, I became the hero for myself so my daughter could live. That's intense. That's, that's, uh, that's powerful stuff. Uh, how's, how's your relationship with her now? It's beautiful. My, my oldest daughter, you know, my, my little baby girl, um, man, they're, they're my angels. They're my angels and they, and they saved me. It wasn't, you know, anything else. It was them. And because, because of, that I was able to wake up that that spirit within me that uh, that that hero within myself to able to turn everything around and make everything that was so horrible I had to you know there's and and this is this is what I write about in my book is that how I use my military training as a rescue swimmer and a firefighter to save myself and I did just that it's like you know I, I flashed back to when I was in SAR school, search and rescue school. And there's a moment in search and rescue school because we, we train to get pilots out of their parachutes where we have to go underneath the parachute and they roll you up in the parachute and you have to find your way out. Well, you're being held under the water and the parachute wrapped up without air. And they teach you, look for the shine. Because as you're underwater, you're looking up into the parachute the little shiny spots that look like mirrors are where the air is. And what you do is you punch up into that air bubble and you're able to breathe. And it gives you enough air to find the apex of the parachute and pull yourself out and save yourself. And that's what I continually did then. And I continue to do now is, Hey, look for the shine. Look for the shine in those situations where you're drowning, where you're out of air, where you don't have any breath, and you feel like life is just pulling you down. Look for the shine. And, you know, when I look at my girls, I see the shine. 
you found your purpose to, to keep going on and to, uh, to try and heal and get better. And, and yeah. for, for, for everyone listening, you, you might've, uh, heard Matt say post-traumatic stress a few times and he wasn't calling it post-traumatic stress disorder because <clears throat> it's not a disorder. It's, it's, uh, it's not a disease. It's just something that, you know, depending on what tragedies you go through, you, some people experience this worse than others, but, um, what the question I want, I'm about to ask Matt is going to lead into where I'm going with this, but <clears throat> you could have post-traumatic stress hidden in different layers, just even from, from being a child and, uh, certain situations in your life that you go through, especially when you're in a combat environment or an environment where, uh, loss of life or harm or, uh, just things that really affect your psyche, it can be triggered. So uh, I wanted to ask Matt, <clears throat> getting into the whole post-traumatic stress side of it, how, what was, what was the trigger that sparked your post-traumatic stress? What was it that, that, uh, that led you down this road to, to release your hero? That's, that's an excellent question. And you, you nailed it on the head. You know, there's a, a misconception out there that, you know, people think it can only be one thing. It can only be one thing like, oh, you know, I got shot at, I have post-traumatic stress. What people don't realize is that PTS, and I, I love that you say, you know, leave out the D because I, I do that too. It's not a disorder. We weren't born with this. It's something that happens to us. And for me, mine was cumulative. It started when I was young. The, the, the foundation of my childhood was, was built on drug and alcohol abuse and at times physical abuse and, and, you know, plenty of verbal abuse. And, you know, the, the, the first moment for me, and I, I'm, I'm going to preface this with, with saying that I have a beautiful relationship with my parents. Now I was able to um, heal a lot of everything that we went through. But at the time when I was a child, I was living it. I was living it. And there was one specific moment where everything kicked off for me was my, my dad, uh, he was a drinker. He was a drinker and he was drunk. My mom went to pick him up and we were driving. So my mom was driving. My dad was in the passenger seat. I was sitting directly behind him and my little brother was in, in the seat to my left in his car seat. He was maybe five, six months old, I believe at the time. And my dad, who my, my stepdad, who I, I grew up with, big, big Hawaiian guy, big Hawaiian guy, his, his hands are twice the thickness of mine even now. And he hit her. He, he hit my mom. And it wasn't even a hard, fast hit. It was just enough where, because he's big, just enough to make her bleed. He, he, her, her nose was bloody. Her face was bloody. Everything just looked, it was the first time I've ever seen anything so violent. And my mom pulled over to the side of the road and my dad reached in the back and was grabbing my little brother out of the car seat, but he, he was so inebriated. He couldn't, he couldn't, you know, work the, the car seat. And my mom told me she leaned back to, and looked at me she said Matt don't let him take your brother who and 
what was I going to do? What was I going to do? This is for, I, I felt completely helpless, vulnerable. Um, I was frozen. What am I going to do to this, this guy who just caved your face in? How am I going to save my brother? And I was frozen. And that was the, the catalyst. And, you know, ironically enough, later on, I discovered more, more things about the path of my life because of this event. Um, but that was the first thing that, that happened to me. And what I learned also going through all that, you know, the drug abuse and alcohol abuse is subconsciously, on a subconscious level, I was absorbing all of this. I was absorbing all the pain. I was absorbing all of the insecurity. I was absorbing all the the hostility, hostility, the anger, the rage that came with with all of this, and that doesn't go away. You have to address it. And when I went into the military, well, you going through the military, they, they put you in stressful environments. And what happened for me when you know going through these situations is it just compounded. It got deeper. It got stronger and the more I tried to push it down the more it it woke up and you know I, I went to Afghanistan in 2005 and I was in the reserves at the time I was um, working at uh, SDB team one still delivery vehicle team one out here in Pearl Harbor parent command under SEAL team 17 in Coronado and that was the time when everybody was shorthanded in Afghanistan. So they started pulling onesies and twosies out of the reserves with really no clear, no clear plan for, for the people they were pulling out. And so I ended up being attached to a provincial reconstruction team, a CB unit, also made up of other reservists and went to Afghanistan and, you know, being over there, we, we drove around a lot, um, but we weren't enough armored. Hum, Humvees. We were in Toyota Helix trucks. And what happened to me is, of course, at first, like, man, I, I don't want to go out there. I, I'm going to get blown up. I'm going to be driving down the road. I'm going to see something on the left that doesn't look right. I'm going to go to the left, and that's where the IED is going to be. Or I'm driving down the road, and here comes a motorcyclist up behind me. With, and he's going to blow me up. I was always oh, super aware of what was around me, driving through bazaars, looking, it was crazy, like little kids carrying around AK-47s. And I became a road addict. I became an Afghanistan road addict, addicted to being out there, addicted to the adrenaline rush of being able to go outside the wire nearly every day and be able to come back safe. But to the point where Aaron and Steve, I couldn't, I couldn't sit on base. I had to, I had to get out there. I had to do something. I couldn't, I couldn't sit around. And I found a couple guys in the army who were part of the Ford uh, escort team for the CG. So they would go out and they would run routes and, and make sure that everything was, was okay. And all we were carrying was, you know, an M4 with a P226 mil, And I brought all that home with me. I brought all that home with me. And next thing I knew, I started having heart palpitations. Um, my face would go numb. Um, I, I'd come back and I'd be, I'd be running with, with 
you know, the seals at the SDV. And I'm like, man, the, I'm a rescue swimmer. I'm, I'm like the lowest guy on the food chain. Right. So I got to keep up with all these guys. I got to perform. I got to do as best I can to be at least at their level, if not the same level or higher. And what would happen to me, we go on the runs from the compound. I would start having these heart, these heart tremors. Like my heart would just start pounding out of his chest. I feel like I was going to fall out. And, you know, in the military, it, it, there's a stigma of, of weakness. And, you know, they tell you, hey, show no weakness. It pays to be a winner. Put out who ya. And so when these things would happen to me, I would just bend over and tie my shoe. And all the guys would run by and some of them say, hey, man, you OK? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'll catch up with you. And I would walk into the bushes and lay it down and wait to die. I would I would just wait for death to consume me. And I would lay there for a while and then I, I would get up and I would have a major pounding headache, a migraine headache. And I would, I would still be trembling for the rest of the day. And, you know, to hide this fact, because I had to stay in shape, but I couldn't run in groups. So, okay, Matt, how are you going to fix this problem? Because, you know, in the military, as a rescue swimmer, as a firefighter, you know, I'm a problem solver. How am I going to do this? How am I going to stay in shape so I can perform? But yet, so nobody knows. So I would put on my, my Oakleys. And... I would go for a run at nighttime. I would go running when it's dark, where nobody could see me, where I was in the shadows, where I felt like I could move that much faster. And and I would come home. And that was how I hid it. That's how I kept it a secret until that, that day for years, for, for 10 years, I did this. For 10 years, from 2005 to 2015. Until that moment, I had to release my hero. Yeah, you can only hide stuff for so long before it eventually peeks its nasty head out, especially uh, dealing with that environment over there. That You know, you said being a road junkie, that's a huge, a huge issue. I see a lot of veterans coming back to the States after they're deployed, having to deal with because you're, you know, you're 100 miles an hour, 24-7 in danger you know, constantly trying to look over your shoulder, making sure you're keeping safe, watching your buddies back. And then you get to the States and it comes to a screeching halt. And then you're, you know, it becomes a boring life, no adrenaline. And you got to figure out, all right, what now? This is a, uh, you know, I'm ready to go back overseas. It's definitely uh, a little mental game that people have to figure out how to play. But you mentioned when we were talking yesterday, you mentioned something about, uh, neuro linguistics. I'm not familiar with it. Actually, I think Steven's familiar with it, but I think that's a fascinating thing to discuss because I don't believe a lot of people know what that is. I mean, I, I'm not very familiar with it. And, uh, yeah. but, but you said it helped you quite a bit. It did. It, uh, you know, and the background on that is, you know, my, my last deployment, I was, I was in the Philippines. Um, down there in southern Mindanao, a lot of people don't know that there's still a lot of a lot of stuff going on down there. And we're down there doing FID uh, foreign internal defense with with the, the Filipino uh, Navy SEAL team 
down there. And it was my job to take care of the Zodiacs. So, so the guys that I was with, the, you know, were with Marine recon. We had Navy SEALs with us, of course. And we had some, some army missed guys and some intelligence uh, guys with us for a little while in and out. And it was my job to take care of the Zodiacs. And we only had two and we're out in the middle of the jungle, right? Away from everything though. Everything that we did was by Zodiac or by helicopter. That, that was, that was it. And I didn't have that much training on how to really keep, keep them up. I, before, before we deployed, they sent me to, to outboard motor school so I could learn how to take care of them and stuff. Um, I had experience working with them when I was working on ships, you know, deploying on Zodiacs as a swimmer, but my, my confidence wasn't there. My confidence wasn't there because I never really had to fix one in an emergency situation. So team guys being team guys, they want to have fun, <laughs> right? Yeah. No matter where they are, they want to have fun. That's, that's kind of what they're known for. That's where they get uh, flack for from, from other, other branches. Like, Oh, you know, so, so guys, they always just want to go out there and suntan and, and that's about it, you know, playing the ocean. Well, part of that's true because you have to have fun. But so they took one of the Zodiacs out and I didn't know, I didn't know what was going on. So I was walking down to the, the boat shack and I was like, where, where's the other Zode? So one of the recon guys walking by and I said, Hey man, where, where's the other Zode? And they was like, Oh, the guys took it out. They're trying to barefoot ski. <laughs> They're trying to barefoot ski. We only got two Zodiacs, man. <laughs> like, That's such a, such a Navy SEAL thing? thing to do right there. It is. It's such a team guy thing to do. And I'm like, so instantly, man, I'm like, what the, what the F, right? Like, what if this thing breaks? So my insecurities, everything started kicking in and I got pissed off because of that. And I walked up to our house because we all, we all lived in the same house. You know, our RLT wanted everybody to be together. And I, I love that guy. And I walk up there and I'm, I'm so pissed. I'm so pissed when I get to the, every step I was taking to the house, I got more and more angry. So by the time we got there, he opened up the door and all I could say was no more fun time, no more fun. Time, right. <laughs> that, that's all I could get out. And he looked at me nice and calmly. And he said, no, Matt, there's going to be fun time. So I did what my, I could only do turn my behind around and walk back down to the, walk back down to the boat shack and started working on the, the only zodiac that we had in there and then you know sure enough they, they they brought the other zodiac up and it was just fine but in that in that moment you know he saw something in me that that i couldn't see in myself and we were there for christmas and he gave me a book it was called nlp for dummies neurolinguistic programming for dummies and even though it was a he gave me a christmas gift i was offended and i'm like i'm not a freaking dummy you know, like, why are you calling me a dummy? Like, I, I just took offense to it, but I kept the book because I liked him and it was a gift. And that day when, you know, things present themselves, that day when I, I released my hero, I looked up on the bookshelf and there that book was NLP for Dummies. And I opened it up and I was like, oh my God, this beautiful science has been right here in front of me this whole time. Because he saw in me then that NLP would help me. He knew what it was. I didn't know what it was. Um, and I sought out, I sought out training to, to 
go through the NLP class. And I learned so much by, by going through that. It takes you through hypnosis. Um, and you learn all this stuff. You learn hypnosis. You, you learn about how what you say, what you think affects your nervous system. And going through PTS, as, a, as you know, Aaron, like it, it does everything to your nervous system. It destroys your nervous system. And for me to, to find something finally, because I had been to therapists, I've, I've gone to different therapists and finding a, a good therapist is like finding the love of your life. It's difficult because you have to find somebody that relates to you on such a deep, intimate level that you're going to express and share your pain with and then have them understand. And I couldn't find a therapist to do that for me. Like I needed to find somebody who, yeah, has experience in special operations, who has experience in the military, who's, who's deployed before, who maybe has a background growing up in Hawaii, who has a background growing up through drug and alcohol abuse. I couldn't find that. And I opened that book up that my LT gave me and I sought out to get, you know, NLP certified. And I, I did, I became a master practitioner in neurolinguistic programming and through that, through helping myself, now I'm able to help other people release their hero to, to deal with those issues and also issues of divorce. I really focus on, you know, men and women coming out of divorce because of those kind of issues. Cause going through divorce is PTS in itself. You go through trauma, you go through loss, you go through all the same stuff that we would experience in the military going through a divorce. It's one of the most traumatic things that we could ever go through and going through it twice. I've been divorced twice because of it. You know, I understand. And that's how I was able to, to save myself from it. I under, and, and that's, I mean, it saved me. You had said, uh, you had said when you're, after that moment with your daughter, when you had her head, when you had uh, held her head into the pillow, <clears throat> that you pulled that book back out and uh, and dove into it and kind of realigned your brain, and that's that's where the healing started to to come again. Am I right? Yeah, I I, I looked at it. I'm like, okay, I discovered that the link between mind and the nervous system and the past traumas how, how you're able to release it like man i was able to learn how to go through years of trauma and release it within 15 minutes unreal like one of my one of my proudest moments after i i graduated from my nlp course was i was a firefighter at camp pendleton and i was working out and the the wounded warrior barracks is right around the corner and some of the guys would come in and we'd be working out and you, you i mean these guys are banged up these guys are banged up, you know, and one of the guys I was talking to had been into a traumatic car accident where he was a passenger and this wasn't even in the military. He was banged up in the military, but he, he chose to discuss a traumatic event where he went through a car accident with his friend and his friend died, but he didn't. So of course survivor's guilt. And within 15 minutes, I was able to heal him of that. It was amazing. I was like, wow, man, like this didn't only work for me. This works for other people just through a simple process of reframing. And, you know, 
it, it was, uh, there, there's no other way to explain how beautiful NLP is. And a lot of people don't, don't understand it, but to go through it and understand how it affects your nervous system, that you can reprogram your mind because basically that's what our mind is. It's a computer. Our brain is a computer and it's able to be reprogrammed. And that's what NLP does is it reprograms your mind and it, it frees up your nervous system and lets go years of pain in minutes. You, you want a good example of this. Anthony Robbins is a good example of neurolinguistic programming. And he, he does, he does the same thing, but to millions of people, I like doing it on an intimate level. I mean, maybe one day I could reach that, but that's, that's what NLP does. It takes years of trauma and you go through a simple process and you're done. And it includes, you know, hypnosis, hypnotherapy, all that. And a lot of people don't believe in that, but what really this is, this is what I explain as hypnotherapy is it's a simple meditation, meditating and hypnosis get you to the same mind state. You know, it's like when you're, you're driving your car down the road, you've been to the same place a hundred times. You've been in the same place a hundred times or he's just driving to work. And all of a sudden you're there and you wonder, how did I get here so fast? I don't even remember getting here. That's, that's the state where you're just completely relaxed. That's the same state as being under hypnosis and meditation. And within that state right there, you're able to extract pain and implement joy and freedom. And that's what I, I discovered in NLP. And I'm trying to say this the, the simplest way that I can for the listeners who, who aren't uh, aware or um, even know what NLP is without getting into the this deep science of this and confusing everybody, but that's really what it is. It's the link between the nervous system and your mind and being able to reprogram it. So yet you, you let go of all the pain. I, I, I'm going to say to, to add to that, because you and I, in our conversation, you know, I uh, am a practitioner was an active practitioner as well as doing um, uh, biofeedback. Muscle testing is how I, did the NLP, but I always say it, it is to define our emotions and body language through the experiences we have. And simply it's to just realize, you know, let's say if um, you, Aaron and I are at dinner and Aaron is expressing something very passionately about something of his past or even something that's current, it's to understand Aaron's expression through his body language, the word choices that he used, it can be eye movement. There's many different things, and to see where and how is the trauma, you know, to put it simply, where is it at? Where is Aaron holding it? You know, is mm-hmm. is it is it in the amygdala? Is it in the mind? Um, is he holding it in his chest? Is he holding it in his back? Because, you know, Aaron, if you were to say, you know, I've got constant back pain, it's something to where not every symptom or situation or disease a person experiences there is an emotional problem there that's something that absolutely it's just absolutely it's understanding what the person is constantly saying over and over again even if it's being said differently the message is always the same Mm -hmm. and it's it's recognizing patterns because and that that's one huge thing about nlp is recognizing the patterns 
And you, you mentioned, you know, eye accessing is a great one. You can, you can, because that's the science of it, right? When you can watch people's eyes, wherever they go, it's going to tell you what, what part of their brain they're accessing. Are they, and it's all your senses. Are they accessing a memory that's created? Are they accessing memory that they're, they're remembering? Um, and it, it's, it's visual and audio cues. Like if I, if I was to ask somebody to describe their their best vacation to me describe that to me and they come and they say oh you know it was great i could the people were were really welcoming you can walk around and people would just like to talk to you it felt like home bam i'm locked in already they're an emotional person they like interaction and relationships so if it say if in a, in a, I'll use that in a relationship. If you want to go on a date with somebody, for example, and you want to go to this nice restaurant, but your partner is like, man, last time I went there, nobody treated me nicely. Like they didn't even acknowledge me by knowing that I'd say, Hey, Hey honey, how about we go to this place here? Last time I went man, it was so welcoming. They brought me in. They treated me like family. They sat me down. They brought me my water. They asked me if I needed anything. And I, it's like I didn't even want to leave there. By knowing that, you're by what NLP does, it allows you to enter that person's world and see things through their eyes and be able to be able to relate with, to them on such a, a deeper level. Even in this, even in business, you know, how, you want to relate to to your your business uh, partners. How how do they react? What do they see? Are they are they visual? Are they auditory? Are they kinesthetic? Where do they lie in, in their senses? And by knowing these, these aspects of, of them, you're able to enter their world and, and create a better, a better relationship and also help people get out of that pain, get out of that pain. Because, you know, everybody says, like, nobody cares what you know until they know that you care. And once you enter that person's world on such a deep level where they absolutely know that you do, care about them you're able to help them on such a deeper level and that's what i love about nlp is it gives me that access to be able to relate to them on such a deeper level they're like man nobody's ever listened to me like this before and we all want to be listened to we all want to be understood and we all want to be happy and that's, that's what, what it's I, all, I that's what it's about, all about it. right here. <clears throat> you know, you, you came, you came back and you had some, uh, some severe issues that affected every aspect of your life. And to be able to find something like NLP to, to help yourself, but also now you can help other people. Uh, that's probably some of the most meaningful stuff. And it's why this, uh, I'm glad you, you guys kind of touched on it like you did, because one of the questions I wanted to ask was, for anyone who might be listening, veteran or non-veteran, anyone really, because post-traumatic stress can affect everybody. It doesn't have to be, you know, someone who just served in, in, a, in a combat environment. So uh, what advice would you have for someone battling PTS? You know, because I'm sure there are other forms of, uh, of therapy, but I'm just curious on your, your thoughts on, on, on that question of what's the best way to, to, to deal with these demons. I love it. I love it. Uh, a buddy of mine, uh, Jason, we, we were talking and he was, he was a, 
East Coast team guy. He worked in the CIA for a bit. And we, we had a discussion about PTS, about the warrior mindset um, of, of being in the military and why so many guys and, and you know men and women in the military are taking their own lives right now. And this is the real raw answer right here is it's ego. A lot of people may not like that, but it's the truth. It's ego. It's the stigma that comes along with it. What are people going to think about me? What are they going to think if I ask for help? How is it going to look? How is it going to look to my family? How is it going to look to my business partners? How is it going to look to my children? How is it going to look to my wife? Because that's what it was for me. I was married twice going through you PTS were, and I, I, I didn't want to admit You were scared it. of being vulnerable, right? Yeah, I didn't want to be vulnerable. And that's what it that's what it all comes down to is how is it gonna look? Once you get past that and you allow yourself to be vulnerable, because one thing I've learned and you know I'm, I'm about this going through this this time in my life is that vulnerability is true power. That's where the true power lies. Because everybody can look good. Everybody wants to look good. Instagram, everybody's TikTok, it's all about looking good. Nobody wants to look bad. But it's when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable and be real, that's when we're understood. That's when we really open up and we can be approachable. And that's when the healing starts, is to allow ourselves to get over the ego, to be vulnerable, to open up, and allow yourself to once again be powerful, to once again be happy, to once again be secure, and once again be able to not only give love to yourself, but give love to others and also receive it. Yeah, I love that. And it'll, it'll show a, such a different side of a lot of people because especially in the military, as you know, vulnerability is not something that is embraced because especially if you're a leader of, you know, sailors, soldiers, Marines, whatever, um, being vulnerable, you keep that to yourself. You keep that locked down because uh, it can be a sign of weakness. And when you, when you come back to the real world and you're dealing with real people who aren't in that environment, vulnerability is a huge thing. So I, I love that advice. I love the way that all tied together with, with accessing your vulnerability because, um, you'll learn a lot about yourself. I can speak firsthand to that just by me getting into the acting space. And that was kind of a huge therapy for me. I, I didn't really get into the NLP stuff, which I'm going to look at it now after we've discussed it so much, but the vulnerability is such a, such a key point. It, it is. And, and, you know, I really want the listeners to hear that is get over, get over the stigma because that's, that's the way that is the only way that you're going to be able to set yourself free and, you know, be able to release your hero. And uh, I'm talking to, you know, all my veteran brothers and sisters, first responders out there, firefighters, police officers, nurses, doctors that, that deal with more trauma than the, the, the regular public is used to being exposed to. Um, I was driving down, down the road here in Hawaii the other day, and there was an ambulance out to the side of the road, and there was a, a vehicle accident, and the paramedics were covering a body. And I looked at that, and I'm like, you know, they're experiencing trauma right now, and they see that every day. So I know that there's a lot of my brothers and sisters right now 
uh, hopefully they're they're hearing this and they're listening to me that I went through PTS for 10 years and it wasn't to allow myself to be vulnerable that I was really able to to release my hero and and set myself free. So I just really want to put that out there. I think where most people through my experience have had the misconception of what PTS is all about is that it has two extremes. One, a person be, can become overly aggressive, loud, and mean, scary. Or the flip side would be recluse, uh, very hidden and withdrawn. Uh, but I believe most people, especially during a climate that we're in right now and that we have been for if not the last 20 years or longer, uh, post-traumatic stress can be channeled even through the most lighthearted human behavior, shopping addiction, drug addiction, alcoholism, um, uh, controlling uh, con abusive behavior, verbal abuse, bullying, uh, post-traumatic stress can be channeled through any form of measure of behavior. And there it, it has its certain levels of intensity. But once again, there are not just two. It, it doesn't mean that someone that's irate or, or determined as being crazy is just post-traumatic stress or someone that's recluse and uh, being perceived as being a doormat or a pushover, you know, those are two different ends of the spectrum, but there's a lot in the middle of how someone can channel that. And then also the other thing is the misconception of addiction, whether it be drug or alcohol, sex, um, uh, violence, uh, it's usually an escape. What is the person escaping from? Um, I'm sure you can concur, Matt. What I learned mm -hmm. through NLP is, say, someone who plays video games and they're constantly playing war or graphic or things that have a lot of killing into it. What happened to them? Um, you know, not everything is defined by what it is, but everything that we do or don't do does have a meaning. The question is, is it can be very, very simple or it can be very, very much deeper. Um, I just believe it really needs to start with ourselves, knowing who we are, getting the healing that we need as individuals to understand the nature of ourselves, what makes us tick, what makes us operate, what are our limits, what are, what are our barriers, what is our law as human beings? What do we believe is our law to be alone, to be in a relationship, to be in a business relationship, and then to express those truths immediately with someone else so that there is not this blame game. I just had a conversation with uh, two people on a conference call yesterday, and I said, when something happens in your life, when you believe someone has harmed you, victimized you, it is not their problem first. It is your problem first to address it. Why? Because you gave them law over your life. You allowed the person the experience in a situation in your life. So since you gave law to that individual or group of people or husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, or child, whoever it is, what was that law that you granted them? What was the permission? And then if you, as a person, felt offended, if you felt betrayed, if you felt even in a positive way loved, what happened through your choice in gifting that opportunity to someone else? 
that has allowed you to feel either uncomfortable or comfortable. But our law starts with us, and it's taking full responsibility of the decisions we make. You nailed it right there. Is taking responsibility. You, you ended that that beautifully, uh, Stephen. It's it's about taking responsibility. You know, Will Smith put out a, a great video um, a while back about him him and his his wife having some issues, and he came to the conclusions like he told her, "It's like I I cannot, I'm not responsible for your happiness. I cannot be responsible for your happiness. Each of us individually." personally is responsible for our own happiness. And once we, we realize that it's a lot easier to one, not take on those, those laws of other people that, that want to, you know, inject their, their lives on us. Like, you know, their, their self doubts, um, their, their patterns of, um, their, their false patterns of you no know, disbelief in themselves, uh, lack of self-love, um, fear, you know, and you, you touched on, you know, going back to the patterns that we, we, you know, guys with PTS going to gambling or, you know, womanizing, uh, sexual promiscuity, um, drug and alcohol abuse. Many times those work, you know, when you go through situations like that, you fall right back into what you experienced when you were younger. What was it that my parents did? What was it that those who loved me, those people who loved me and cared for me, quote unquote, what did they do? And you fall right back into that. And then we're just falling, like, as you said, into their law, how they lived. And once we are able to see that that's what's happening, we discover the pattern. You know, I, I came up with an acronym that I use and it's called I arm. And, you know, I arm myself. The first thing you, you do is you have to identify what it is. What 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 are the patterns that you're falling into? And then you become aware of it. Because once you identify it, you're aware of it. Once you're aware of the pattern, you're able to clearly recognize it when it starts happening. When you start going down that road again, hey, I'm doing the same thing I did before. I'm recognizing it this. Then once you go through those steps, then you're able to modify your behavior. You're able to change. You're able to rise above those things. And, you know, that's one thing I, I use for myself. That's one thing I tell my clients, like, have you been arming yourself? Have you been arming yourself? What are you doing? What are you doing to change? Or are you falling right back into the same patterns that you fell into before? Because you're experiencing pain. You're experiencing loss. You're experiencing trauma. You know, this this morning I was I was meditating as part of my my morning ritual, and as I, I was meditating, I'm in Hawaii, <laughs> and a mosquito landed and it 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 bit me right by my ear, my left ear, and I thought about that. I was like, whoa, okay. When we're in their their space, when we're meditating, when we're we are the most calm, when we are the most happy, those mosquitoes start coming around. They start biting you, the negativity, um, the thoughts and the fears of other people when things are going well for us. And the best way to stay away from those mosquitoes are to be around people who are positive, who believe in you, who lift you up, and who fuel your fire. And that's one of the best ways to make sure that you're arming yourself 
that, you know, if you are going through PTS, you are going through divorce, you are going through trauma, that you focus on these things that keep you from going back into, as you put it, the laws and the rules of others, false patterns that we decide to take on. And uh, while you were sharing that, Matt, um, and then to to add even uh, for Aaron, I pulled up a chart of NLP. So neuro is the nervous system process, our expo- processing our experiences. So it's it's mm-hmm. thought. Linguistic is yep. the communication systems through which our experiences are given meaning. So what you see with yep. the sounds, feelings, tastes, smells. And then programming is how we communicate with ourselves. So yep. what I got through what you were sharing as well, Matt, is it's all about going and finding out what are they tasting, what are they thinking, what are they feeling, all the above. And then for um, I don't know what your techniques were like, Matt, but for me, I would always start off of how does that feel to you? What do you see? What does it sound like? Does it feel real? Does it feel like yours, your law, your program, your choice, or does it feel, sound, look like something that you learned from your mother, you learned from your father, you learned from a job experience? So it's just going back to the nucleus, the emotional nucleus of where it began. And that's why most of the time with uh, therapy, why people just really have a disbelief that it works or um, not so much into the confidence of it is because I've, through my own experience, therapy, psychotherapy, or just even therapists go back to the emotional or, I mean, the mental or emotional mental aspect. But I never really Mm -hmm. felt that a therapist could get to the root, the genesis of the problem. But also there were times I wasn't really connecting to it and it wasn't the right time. So I'm not blaming or, and, and don't suggest that someone should always blame a therapist. I believe it can be helpful to those who really believe that that is for them at that moment but at the same time oh, yeah. I, I don't know if you ever heard just to add emdr really helped too matt okay awesome yeah it, it's I, I like everything that you're saying like you you're nailing it because you know that that's the, the thing about nlp is what's different between nlp and therapists and i i, I I have a therapist now. I, I love the guy. He's, he, I actually found a Vietnam vet and you know, a lot of times we go in there and it's just like, we just sit and talk to each other. We just have a conversation. Um, he learns from me just as much as I, I learned from him. Um, we share a lot of, of different ideas and he's like, no, I never thought of that, about that before. And the difference about, you know, NLP coaching uh, uh, different than therapy is that therapy goes into the past. What happened in the past coaching and NLP it's able to go to the root but not stay in the root but forward forward pace everything forward pace it like how does that look for you in the future how does that feel for you in the future and one of the things I love about NLP is once you get to the understanding of how that person sees the world what their their to use the NLP term is model what their model of the world is you're able to relate to them because in, in therapy that that's one thing I think that they miss is what does your world look like to you? I've never, I've never been asked that. What does your world look like to you? They ask me how I feel about that, but what is it? What does it look like in the future? How does it feel in the future? What do you see for yourself? Um, 
and those are the, the, the things that we need to really look at because it's good to go back and, and look at that stuff and, and know the root, but also how are you going to, how are you going to take that forward in your life? How, how are you going to be able to grieve and take the challenges and the empowerment that you've gotten from those instances and be able to move forward and empower yourself and, and be able to lift those other, those people up around you because we all have people in our lives. I got my girls, you know, um, people are married. They have, they have beautiful relationships, but it's also about fueling and lifting other people that are around us, which is, you know, the reason that you're having this, this show right now with Aaron and I is to lift other people up, to empower other people, to, to give people a purpose, to let them know that they're not alone in their struggles. And, and that we only get there by able to being to rise ourselves and come up out of that. Does that make sense? And I want to add to that. I want to play this clip from your Instagram post about my okay. why. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Matt Grace, retired U.S. Navy rescue swimmer, professional firefighter. I want to share with you this morning as I watch the sun come up my why. Why am I here doing this? Why am I doing these videos? It's so others may live, so you can release your hero. For 10 years, I suffered from PTS. And there was a moment when I knew that if I didn't release my hero, because I'd been a hero for everyone else, if I didn't release my own hero, I would not be able to save the life of my family. It got that serious. And I had to take extreme action. And I changed a lot of things around and I learned a lot. And now I'm here sharing that with you so you may live so you can release your hero. Hoo-yah. <laughs> your thoughts? Yeah. It, it's powerful. It's making, it's making me tear up because it's, it's absolutely true. Absolutely true. You, you know, the, the rescue swimmer motto is so others may live. And it's... Going through all this, it's my responsibility. It's my responsibility to lift others up to to help those around me. Because if not, what are we here for? Not ourselves. You had wrote, I was everyone else's hero, but I wasn't saving myself. Now, my purpose is to help others release their hero like I did to let them know that we can rise above PTS. We can rise above divorce and be the fathers that our children need and co-parent successfully after the pain of loss. Amen. That's what you wrote. Yeah. That is, that's my purpose. That's my purpose. It's, um, you know, when, when you hear your own words coming back like that, it, it makes me want to sit down. It does. It makes me want to sit down and just be thankful and, and, and appreciate, you know, we don't appreciate ourselves enough to when I, when you did that for me, I just looked back through my life. I looked back through my life and I was able to see just how far I've come because we always, we always laugh, right? We always want to want to 
celebrate other people, but how often is it do we celebrate ourselves? And I'm extremely proud of myself for, for making it through all of this. And I'm thankful for all of that. And I just want to show other people what's possible. What is possible out there after divorce? What is possible after PTS? What is possible after trauma? What's possible is happiness. I, I, I tell my daughter, you know, they, my oldest, we, we were talking the other day and she's crying. And I said, honey, it's okay to cry because she didn't want to. She didn't want to cry. She was holding it in, but I could see it. I could see it. When, as, as parents, as dads, you know, it's our job to, to know how our children are feeling. It's our job to know what they're going through because, and because we've been there. And I said, honey, it's okay to cry because what are, what's on the other side of your cry? Is you're happy. Your happy is on the other side of your cry. And, you know, where I'm at now is I'm on the other side of my cries. And I just want to, you know, help others so others may live so they can release their hero. So thank you for, for playing that for me. That was very unexpected. Thank you. You're welcome. And you had a real NLP moment. That yeah. was an NLP moment. Yeah, right there. Yep. And I was able to to see all of it, to see the whole journey and to forward pace this because I'm not done. I'm not done with this. I have a long way to go. I'm just starting. You know, I'm I'm just starting. The fire is is burning bright right now. And there's a lot of people, especially right now, we're, we're all isolated. There's there's people right now that are in pain. And I get it. So yeah, thank you. That was that was very humbling and, and very uh you know, happy moment for me. Thank you. You're welcome. Very welcome. Aaron, you have anything? No, I mean I, I just appreciate Matt coming on and sharing his story and you know, being open and vulnerable and when we were talking yesterday about overcoming post-traumatic stress and, and finding, finding purpose uh, to move forward. And, you know, for the people who come back from a traumatic experience, especially um, a potentially deadly one, <clears throat> when you, when you make it back, there's a reason and I feel like we have a responsibility to do something amazing with our lives to honor the memory of those who weren't as fortunate as we were. So that's something that I talk about a lot just because it's, uh, it, it's special to be able to use tragedy uh, for the purpose of good and to, to change other people's lives. So, you know, as uh, there's this one saying from... Uh, from Shakespeare's King Henry V speech, I think it was 1598. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. For he who sheds his blood with me shall forever be my brother. And that's what you are, brother. So thank you for coming on. It's a, it's a special story you have to share, and I, I wish you nothing but the best. Uh, amen, man. Thank you. You know, as, as you were talking... You know, I want to want to highlight my brother Scott Dayton, uh, Scott Cooper Dayton, who was taken uh, in Syria 
not, not many years ago. He was, you know, a lot of people know a little about what's going on over there, but he was a, an EOD technician, senior chief, Scott Cooper Dayton, one of my brothers. And, you know, there, I put his picture above my, my door. So every, every day before I leave, he's one of the, the faces that I see as I'm walking out. I see his face. I have pictures of my two girls. I have pictures of my grandfather, all, all the people who mean the most of my life now and those who have passed on. But, um, you know, yeah, thank you, Aaron. Definitely brothers, man. It's like, it's the band of brothers and sisters. We can't leave them out either. Um, it's true. You know, those, those who have served will always keep serving. And it's just, uh, it's what bonds us. And it's something I don't, I don't want to exclude civilians in any way, but it's, it's different. We, we are, we've been through experiences together, no matter if we're in different forces, like different branches, Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard. Now we got the Space Force going on, you know, it's, it's, um, it's going through those rites of passages, going through extreme environments, going, passing our limits to go further we we all know that we've all experienced that on some level and you know thank you for that aaron love you buddy raw and yeah just so everyone knows the brains are always going to be the best <laughs> love it love it matt where can <laughs> everyone find you it's that, mili- uh, you that, that military uh that military banner everyone's always better yeah. Yeah, the military military banner, man. It's it's something that uh, I love about that. You know, can't leave out the army. I love army. Um, but you can find me at Release Your Hero um, on Instagram. Yeah, I have a private Facebook page, also Release Your Hero on Facebook. Um, and you can also email me at releaseyourhero at gmail dot com. Any last shout outs you want to give, Matt? Yeah, I want to shout out you two, uh, you know, for, for giving me the, the opportunity to come on here, to share my story, um, to help other others, you know, release their hero. Um, definitely a shout out to my, my girls, my girls, Ariana and Keola. Oh, you got a home here with us, Matt, and please let us know when your book is going to officially come out. And, um, uh, if you do need help uh, with editing at all, I, I do have a childhood friend. She, uh, Alicia uh, Pazzoni, she uh, does my editing from time to time when I need her. But she's uh, she used to work for the government, and uh, she's got much experience uh, in book publishing, editing. So uh, just let me know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Stephen. Aaron, any closing thoughts? No, that's it. I, I'm, uh, I'm grateful for, for Matt coming on and sharing the story, but um, I'm, I'm looking forward to reading the book when it comes out. And like you said, we're family and we're always here for you. Hoo-yah. Hoo-yah. All right, Matt, hold the line. Thank you, everyone, for joining Aaron, Matt Grace, and myself today, live on air with Stephen Cuoco on Power 98.5. And stay tuned.
on your socials and let's connect. Empowering listeners from the US to the UK. Live on air with Stephen Cuoco.